Uh, this weekend, you know, uh, we once again celebrate the political, social, economic, and religious freedom we have as Americans. It was on uh, July 4th, 1776, that the Second Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence, uh, a document that declared independence from the tyranny of King George and England. And you know, the American colonies fought a war with England to win freedom. And it took a war to gain our freedom and secure the peace. And you know, as I've been thinking about it, th today's message is going to be a little bit heavy, but hopefully a little bit of encouragement. Uh, as I've been thinking about it, I think we have to be honest with ourselves that we have to admit that today's 4th of July season, our world is much different than it was in George Washington's 4th of July season. Uh, that's good and bad. Um, I think today most of us would probably have to agree that we've been born into a unique time in history. I believe we're living in the days that the Bible refers to as the last days. And in fact, I'm becoming more and more convinced that we are actually living in the last of the last days. Uh, just thinking about America, you know, we see our society moving from a Christian culture to a post-Christian culture right before our eyes. With every law, every judgment, every policy seemingly to move us further and further away from the foundations of biblical truth upon which our country was founded. And the viewpoints that were widely embraced, I don't know, two or three decades ago, uh, just don't seem to be embraced any longer. Things have fundamentally changed in our society and in the world. And uh, I firmly believe that what's occurring in our country today and these days is fulfilling Bible prophecy regarding last day's events. Uh, it also suggests maybe this, this shift isn't just in America, but the world's condition is evidence of the Bible prophecies of these last days. You know, the world itself is in turmoil. There is just turmoil out there. This week I did a, just a quick perusal of the Internet as I was thinking about what I was going to share with you today. And I, I looked at the Internet just to get a feel of where things are and where things seem to be. And let me tell you, it wasn't hard to find uh, lots of dire issues and turmoil. You don't have to do a long study or spend long hours in research to uncover trouble and to start connecting the dots. Uh, there's so much going on concurrently uh, across so many categories all over the world that I think we can clearly hear the words of Jesus as he described the, the birth pangs that we, would, that we would feel in the last days. He says things are going to get worse the closer we get to the end. And, and I think you'd have to admit we're seeing that. Um, you know, for example... I could, exp I could spend hours, and I was, I was going to, but then I decided not to because it would get really discouraging and depressing. But I could spend hours talking to you about uh, the financial precipice, the, the world economy is teetering on. You know, economists around the world are, are not saying the question is if, but now it's when, that the world economy is going to have some sort of collapse or restructure or reset of some sort. We could talk about the severe drought on the West Coast, especially in California, that, that threatens to do irreparable damage to our food chain here in America and around the world, and all the geological oddities and things happening all over the world just creating havoc. I think we'd have to admit our world is more dangerous and destructive than it's ever been. You know, with terrorist groups like 
ISIS on the rise, who have the ability to execute terrorism all over the world. Did it seem to you, this, like yesterday, that the heightened security and, and the fear was greater than it's ever been since I can ever remember? I mean, I don't know. Was it just me? But, you know, you listen on the news and the radio, and it's like they're, you know, there's, they're worried all over the place that something was going to happen. Praise God, nothing happened. But it just, that, that sense of, of, of fear and terror it just seems to be growing. Um, my son yesterday, uh, just out of the clear blue, uh, he, has no, he had no clue what I was going to say to you guys this morning. He sent me a text, and he said, hey, Dad, is, is, are, are things just getting crazy? Or is it just me? He said, it's like the movie Idiocracy. Have you seen the movie Idiocracy? If you haven't, trust me, don't waste your time. <laughs> but if you have, you know what he's talking about. Things just seem to be weird and strange. Certainly, you know, I could go on with dozens of, of examples, but I think you get the point. I believe our world has forgotten God, and I believe that we're heading at warp factor six straight into a time of trouble proclaimed in God's Word. And this morning, even if you interpret prophecy a little bit differently than I do, you'll have to admit that things just seem to be like we live in, a, in, a, in bizarreness. Is that a word, bizarreness? Things just seem to be like bizarreness. That's the only way I can describe it. So it's easy, I think, to look at trouble and be negatively affected by it. It's easy for us to be filled with fear and worry and lose the sight of truth. And so my question for us this morning is how do we as followers of Jesus respond to all this? How do we stay focused on truth such that the trouble in the world and even the trouble that we bring onto ourselves with, with our own choices, that that doesn't negatively affect our attitudes of love and, and identity and belief and behavior? How do we live as mature, wise followers of Jesus being a light to the world and as the world is spinning into oblivion? I think that's an important question, don't you? I believe we do have the power to live in peace, even in the midst of trouble. Even as the world seems to be getting darker and darker and more desperate, we can be a light of the gospel, even in these darkest days. In fact, the darker it becomes, the greater the light shines. The more trouble in the world, the more we need to be a light to the world. And um, so what got me thinking about this was, you know, holidays like the 4th of July kind of give us time to pause and, and just remember. Um, given all the turmoil and the trouble in the world of late, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us as followers of Christ to just stop and consider something that we already know, but we need to be reminded of. It's good to be reminded that in Jesus we can live in peace no matter the circumstances. So the power of peace is the, is the topic we're going to cover today. You know, as followers of Jesus, we can hold on to that promise. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow may bring, but I know who holds tomorrow, right? And if he holds tomorrow, I can trust that he can hold me and keep me through that. Peace. I can live in peace. Peace is an intangible characteristic, I think, that shapes our beliefs, our attitudes, our behaviors. And you might be saying, Claude, how can I live in peace when my life is falling apart? Well, let me ask you to consider something. You know, on the night that, that Jesus celebrated the last Passover with his disciples, the cross was looming large in his field of view. 
He knew what he was facing, right? He knew where he was headed. And not only that, he knew where his disciples were going to be a few years after he ascended back to the Father. He knew that they were going to be in trouble and that the world was going to be uh, really harsh for them. So what did he say to them? What, what could he say to them? Did he say, hey guys, listen, it's going to be tough. Things are going to get really bad, so you need to start freaking out right now. Okay? <laughs> Just freak out. Just get angry, get upset, get depressed. In fact, the world's going to hate you so much, you need to just go out in the desert somewhere and build a commune and hide because it's going to be trouble. Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. With the cross looming in his view, with the turmoil that they were going to face, here were the words of Jesus. In John 14, Jesus said these wonderful words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it, but let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus said, I give you peace. He is the source of peace. So when we think about peace, what is peace? On your handout, I listed some um, dictionary definitions, and all of those words and all those definitions do define what the word peace means, but Peace is more than that. We, we desire to live in love, don't we? We desire acceptance. We desire respect. We want to be validated. We want our lives to be valued. We want to mean something. That's God created those desires in us. Those are God-given desires. And peace is that state when, when those desires and those needs are met in our heart. When those needs and desires are met in our heart, we're at peace. When we're not at peace, it's because we don't feel loved, or we don't feel valued, or we don't feel respected, or we don't feel comforted, or we don't feel cared for, but we feel hopeless, and we feel like life has less meaning. Peace isn't just a nice word that we throw around. Peace is the central message of the gospel. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Paul says the gospel is a message of peace. When we, when we embrace the gospel, we're embracing peace. You know, we crave peace. Don't you just find yourself just wanting things to be peaceful in your life? I mean, come on. You feel like sometimes your life is chaotic and, and out of control, and we just want peace. If you got kids, sometimes you just want peace and quiet, don't you? <laughs> Please, can I get a moment of quiet? We want peace in our home, we want peace in our job, we want peace in our mind, we want peace in our soul. We just want things to work out. And we want as little pain as possible. We want things to be calm and peaceful. So how in the midst of, you know, kids bouncing around the walls, jobs going crazy, life going crazy, how can I, how can I embrace peace and live in peace? Well, I can tell you that the peace you long for isn't found in wars between nations. The peace you're longing for isn't found in jobs or in families or in lovers or in riches or in wealth or in anything in this world. All those things might give you a, a sense of peace, but the peace passes very quickly. The luster rubs off of, 
of the false gold in our lives. They can never touch your soul. On July 4, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was, in a real sense, a declaration of war. And the subsequent war that followed earned our national freedom, and it secured and established a state of peace. And the peace was won, and those colonists, they made great sacrifice to provide for us the peace that we've experienced the last 200 and, what, 39 years. I can do math in my head. However, let me suggest to you that their success, as great as it was, pales in comparison to the war that was fought for our true freedom and the resulting peace that was won roughly 2,000 years ago on a dusty hill outside Jerusalem. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, fought the war of all wars. He fought a war against the enemies that you and I have no power within ourselves to overcome. Jesus Christ won the war, defeating the devil, defeating sin, defeating hell, defeating death and the grave. Amen. And Jesus secured our peace that morning. That morning he got up and walked out of that tomb alive, never to die again. Hallelujah. Well, Paul writes about this peace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's consider for a few minutes what Paul is saying here. You know, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Paul gives us seven benefits or results of justification. And on, on justifica our justification being solely based on Christ's victory at the cross and at the empty tomb. And so what is the first result of justification, Paul says? Since we have been justified, we have peace. Aren't you glad for that peace that comes from Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? In other words, that, dri that primal drive of our hearts to be at peace and to live in peace, Paul says Jesus Christ gives us that peace, and you can't find that peace in anything else. You might be looking for that peace in everything else, but trust me, it's just in there. Romans chapter 5, he begins the words, he begins the chapter with the word therefore. You know, in Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, he describes this plan of God, this salvation, this justification that God provided for us. And he begins chapter 5 with the word therefore. He says, based on what I've been saying these first four chapters, let me tell you, let me give you the good stuff. Let me tell you what the result is. And he says, therefore, since we have this justification, this forgiveness, this life through Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and since we've received it and believed it in faith, we have peace. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, the peace that you long for, you already have. Now, the New Testament talks about peace, and when the New Testament talks about peace, it talks about peace in four directions. In Romans 5, we see the first direction. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And the peace he's talking about here isn't psychological tranquility. It's not emotional security. He's not talking about the kind of peace you feel or you sense or you experience. Paul's referring to your attitude. He's not referring to your attitude of confidence or well-being. 
And he's not even talking about the absence of fear and doubt. That's not what he's saying. And this is so important for us to believe and to receive that when he says we have peace, he's talking about a relationship of peace rather than hostility. You're no longer God's enemy, but now you're God's friend. You've ceased to be a hater of God, and now you're a lover of God. You were a child of Satan, now you're a child of God. You were in the kingdom of darkness, now you're in the kingdom of light. Amen? Amen. This is the identity of peace. It's a tangible reality. This is who you are. You are a man of peace. You are a woman of peace. That's who you are. Peace isn't a quality we possess. It's not something I do. I don't just live peacefully. I mean, if you have kids, you know that sometimes you can be just angry with your kids, right? But you don't just blow up at them. You'll kind of contain that and kind of on the outside you'll look peaceful, but on the inside, oh my gosh, there's a volcano ready to explode. Sometimes my wife gets the experience of me being kind of peaceful, but all it takes is one little scratch and that rage just kind of comes out, right? I, I don't, peace isn't something I do. Peace is something I am. I'm a man of peace. And when Paul says we've been justified by faith, he's referring to God declaring us righteous, declaring us just in that very act of God establishing a new relationship with us brings us that peace. Let me describe it to you like this. The fact that we're no longer at war with God. You know, during World War II, the Allied forces came up with a strategy against Germany. And that strategy was high-level bombing. We had our B-52s fly over at high level and just bomb everything. We blasted everything out of sight. We were blowing up everything we could blow up in carpet bombing, just blasting them. Why? Because we wanted to destroy their infrastructure. We wanted to humble them. We wanted to bring them to the point that they would surrender. And, and the strategy worked because they, as we know, they did surrender. And once the war was over, we signed a peace treaty. And what did we do? Did we continue bombing them? Well, of course not. Through the Marshall Plan, we went into Germany and we began to rebuild Germany. We turned their electric on. We turned the, the gas on to, to fuel their furnaces. We got the water flowing through the pipes. We built hospitals and schools. We, we helped their industry retool for peacetime. We went in and we began to rebuild the country. In fact, part of that rebuilding, we had to tear things down and clear the debris so that we could build things new on top. Does that make sense? Well, sure. Well, that's kind of like what Paul is saying here. He's saying that this peace that we have, we are now at peace with God. And so the peace treaty was signed by the blood, in the blood of Jesus. We're at peace. We're no longer at war. There was a time when, when you were at war with God and God was just blasting everything in sight. You were his enemy and he was fighting with you like an enemy combatant. But once you accepted his terms of surrender, his terms of peace, you're no longer at war with God. And so what does God do? God's coming in, right? He's turning on the, 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 the fire in your soul. He's turning on the power of the Spirit in you. He's got the water of life flowing through your veins. He's, he has to go in. He has to tear down some of those bombed-out structures, right? He's clearing the debris out of your life. He's, he's tearing down those 
those structures of pride and selfishness and anger and lust and addiction. He has to tear those things down so he can rebuild in their place homes of love and joy and hope and kindness and peace. God's on your side. God's working with you. You know, I talk to, I, I do a lot of counseling, so I talk to people all the time. And, and, I, and I talk to believers all the time who don't recognize that they're at peace with God. They still want to talk like they're at war with God. They use war talk. Things like, you know, trouble comes in their life and they'll say to me, Pastor Claude, how can God be letting me go through this if he loves me? Why isn't God answering my prayers? Why, isn't, why is God doing this to me? See, that's war talk. That's talk like God is still trying to bomb you. Just bomb you silly. That's not what he's doing at all. What he's doing is he's working in your life to tear down those things that you've depended on so he can build you up new. Guess what? You're at peace with God. You've been justified by God. You're at peace with God. God removes his wrath and he gives us peace. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. We've entered into a new relationship of permanent eternal peace. And that's the peace that Jesus was talking about in that upper room. And that's the peace we see here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Now here's what's so cool. I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Here's what's so cool is God doesn't stop there. We could stop right there and we'd be done. All we need to know is I'm at peace with God. That changes everything. But God doesn't stop there. No, what he does is the New Testament describes peace in four directions. First, we have peace with God. But he also says that we are at peace with him. And as a result, we can be at peace with ourselves. Peace with ourselves. Peace with God, I can be at peace with myself. We could call this the peace of God. We have peace with God. We can also have the peace of God. We have peace with God and that is the tranquility, that is the joy, that is the freedom from anxiety that comes to us as believers. And the peace of God works in us two ways. It works in our inward calmness and confidence, and it also works in the outward display of itself in our circumstances. I love what David says in Psalm 37. He says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he falls, he shall not be cast down, for the Lord holds him up by his hand. I can have trouble in my life. I can do all kinds of silly things and, and fall. But you know what? God, he's got his hand there. He just picks me up. That's the confidence that we can live in. That's the peace that passes all understanding. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called into one body. You know, no matter what you've done, no matter how foolish you've lived, no matter the choices you've made in the past, no matter what addictions have ruled your life, now that you've been transformed by His Spirit, there the peace of God, the peace of Christ can rule in your heart. And as Paul writes it, he says in Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to shrink back from God in guilt or fear or confusion, but you can, you can open your arms and say, Daddy, pick me up. And he does. He'll scoop you up and put you on his shoulder, and the two of you can laugh and love. That's who my God is. You don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to shrink back in fear, thinking he's just going to blast you with a lightning bolt. No, you can have the peace 
you're at peace with God, you can have the peace of God. If God can forgive you knowing all the stuff he knows about you, you've got no excuse to not forgive yourself. No excuse. That's the peace, that inward calmness. And then that inward calmness leads to how I behave in my life, the results. Because the peace of God isn't just some nice theory. What I'm telling you isn't just a nice word and let's all just be happy. No. The peace of God has practical results in my life. Galatians 5.22, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and... What do you say? Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so on. Paul says the, the peace of God is the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, around here we talk about gospel-shaped identity all the time, right? How the gospel transforms me and shapes the container that it's in. It shapes me into the image of God. And we use this example of fruit because it, it is really true. A peach tree grows peaches. Why? Because it's a peach tree. <laughs> it doesn't grow apples or bananas or grapes, right? It's a peach tree. It's the same thing. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, you have the Spirit living in you, and guess what fruit you're going to grow? You're going to grow peace. You're going to bump up against the stuff in your life, the circumstances in your life, and guess how you're going to respond? In peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The world is reeling and rocking. The world is in trouble on every level, financially, geopolitically, environmentally, socially, you name it, the wheels are coming off. But we all have a choice on how we can respond to the circumstances of life, even to the things that we are, are battling with in our own lives, with the, the people in our lives or the circumstances in our lives. We have a choice in how we can respond. We can respond in fear and worry and doubt and confusion, or we can just rest in the peace of God and respond in peace. You know, maybe life isn't working out like you planned. Maybe you have an illness that's sapping your strength. Or maybe you're carrying around fear and depression and hopelessness. Well, let me encourage you right now. Run to Jesus. Just run to Jesus. Embrace this peace of God. Let go of your expectations and allow His peace to rule in your heart. I look around this room and I know a lot of your stories. And I know that we've all walked through valleys. We've all walked through struggles. And I've walked through struggles. And even when things didn't go my way, I've learned one thing. That it's always best to go God's way. My advice to you is always allow the peace of God, the peace of Jesus to rule in your heart. Trust in Him. You can do that by saying, Jesus, no matter what happens, I love you. No matter what happens, I believe in you. No matter what happens, I'm willing to do it your way. That's the peace of God. You don't have to be taken out by your circumstances. You don't have to run away from trouble. You don't have to get angry and bitter. You can live in peace. The Bible talks about four directions of peace. I can have peace with God. I can have peace with myself. And because of those things, I can have peace with others. I can respond to others in peace. And the reason is, James chapter 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Why are you fighting? Why are you struggling? He says, it's because you want things that you think you need or you have to have that you're not getting. And so you fight for them. 
And so you're fighting for these things. That's what causes this lack of peace. I, I think I deserve things, or I'm not getting things, or I'm not being satisfied, and I, and I fight for it. But in chapter 3, he says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He's saying we can live in peace in our relationships with our spouse, with our parents, with our kids, our family, our friends, and even our enemies. You know that boss that's really just driving you crazy at work, that's giving you a hard way to go? Guess what? You can be at peace with him. It might not seem like it, but you can. You know why? You know why I can respond to you in peace and why you can respond to others in peace? Well, because when I'm not responding in peace, it's because I feel like I need respect. I feel like I need validation. I feel like I need uh, a, a hearing. I feel like I need uh, my life value to mean something, and, and I, and I want to be uh, understood. I want to be valued, right? And when I'm not feeling that with my wife or with my kids or with my next-door neighbor or with my boss, I'm struggling. Well, the reason I don't have to live that way is because in Christ you have all the validation, all the love, all the acceptance, and all the respect you'll ever need. Amen. What do you need that Jesus hasn't already given you? That boss at work, he doesn't respect you? Jesus does. That mother-in-law thinks you're an idiot? Jesus doesn't think you're an idiot. That next-door neighbor doesn't value the fact that that tree in your backyard is your tree and he shouldn't be cutting it. Jesus doesn't fight with you over that kind of stuff. You have everything you need in Christ. You don't need anything else. Christ loves us because that's who he is. and we, It's not because we have things to give him because we certainly have nothing to give him in return. But his love is complete without borders as we sang in that song where those peaceful waves on the beach were kind of flowing. We can live in peace because Jesus is our peace. Ephesians 2.14, He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Jesus is our reconciler to God and He is the peace which passes all understanding and so He's the one that lives in you. So let me ask you, what are you mad about? You've got the peace of God in you. Jesus lives in you. So four directions of peace. I, can, I have the peace of God, with God. I have the peace of God. I can be at peace with you. And so my life is to be spent in helping others have the peace of God. I have to help others find peace. Why does God leave us here after we're born again? Why does he allow us to walk through trouble? Why is he allowing us to live in this world that's just getting ready to, to blow itself up? Why is he doing that? Well, you know why? Because he wants us to live this life of peace in peace so that the world will see his peace in us and want to know his peace. He wants us to live our lives so that people want to know him because they know us. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 5.18, that our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us in this room is a minister of God's reconciliation. As you live in peace, the world will want to know Him. The world needs Jesus. 
The world is in deep trouble on so many fronts, and fear and doubt and ignorance and hate can flood our minds and crush our hearts. Circumstances and people in our lives could be wrecking havoc in your life today. But let me give you one last thought. And I want you to just stew on this verse this week. If you remember nothing else I tell you today, I want you to remember this. Isaiah wrote these precious words, Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God keeps us in perfect peace, that perfect peace, that four-directional peace. He keeps me in peace with him, keeps me in peace with myself, keeps me in peace with you, and helps me to help others find peace with him, you know, because he keeps me there. That word keep means to hold on to or to maintain. There's a, an active involvement of God in our lives, keeping us in peace. And if we have to be kept in peace, that means that we can certainly move away from it or lose it, can't we? This world, the circumstances of this world, the circumstances in your life, the bills, the sick kids, the, the next door neighbor, whatever, your mother-in-law, whatever, can drive you into a fear, away from that perfect peace. But guess what? God keeps you in peace as you keep your mind on Him. When the world explodes around you, when the circumstances are all against you, when people hurt you, when there's plenty of reason to lose it, as we rest in those quiet moments with Jesus, He keeps us in peace. Put Jesus on your calendar, will you? Make Him a priority in your schedule. Spend time in connection to Him. I started doing that on my phone, and it just kind of works. I have a little schedule on my calendar. just reminds me to spend some time with Jesus. Let me encourage you to do that. Because it's not going to change your circumstances. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It may not change the, the road to hell that this world is running down as fast as it can. But I guarantee you one thing. If you stay close to Jesus, you're going to know peace in the midst of trouble. You're going to have that peace of God in your life. So where are you finding your peace today? If you're finding your peace in anything but Jesus, you're just fooling yourself. Are you justified by faith today? Well, then you're at peace with God. Are you allowing Him to shape your identity so that you experience the peace of God in your inward man such that it lives out in your circumstances? Are there people in your life that you're fighting with because deep down you feel they owe you something? Well, I'm here to tell you that in Jesus, you got all you need. Are you living your life, giving it away, spending it, helping others find peace with God? If you need a little uh, help with that, just come over and help us in Whitehall from time to time. We can hook you up with people that need Jesus. Are you at peace today? Well, let me tell you, God promises to keep you in perfect peace as you keep your mind on Him. So how are you going to respond? I encourage you to respond in running to Jesus today and living in His peace. Will you do that? Our worship team is going to come here in just a minute, and I'm going to pray. And then our prayer partners are going to come forward. And if you're 
longing for peace, if you've lost that peace, if there's something in your life that's sapping that peace away from your life, maybe you don't even know Jesus today, well, come forward and pray with our prayer partners. Come forward and pray and seek the peace of God that passes all understanding. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we just love you. Jesus, I pray that you would help us embrace the fact that you are the creator of all that is and that you knit each one of us in this room together in our mother's womb, Lord, and you have determined who we are and how we live. And you know everything going on in our life. The, you know the beginning, the middle, and the end of every situation in our life. And Jesus, you love us. You died for us. You, you rose from that dead, securing our victory. And Lord, it's only through you that we can have life and have love and have this peace that we're talking about. Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room right now that no matter where we are, maybe things are going great in our life. Help us to stay in peace. Maybe things are, are falling apart in our life. Lord, help us to cling to you for the peace that we need. Maybe we're fearful about the things happening in the world. Help us to not worry about that stuff, but help us to just give it to you, lay it down at your feet, knowing that you're going to keep us in that perfect peace. So Jesus, today we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for all that you are and all that you've done. And it's in your holy name and only in your name can we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand, stand together.